Welcome to another edition of Against the Current, coming to you from the Skyline Club atop the Old Republic Building in downtown Chicago. My guest on this installment, hailing from the Austin neighborhood on the west side of Chicago, he is State Representative LaShawn Ford. Uh, how long have you been a state rep now? Um, almost 12 years. 12 years. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's me. eerie how much we have in common. We're the same age. Uh, we are both repellent women. We're both single. Right. Never married. Right. Right. We were both adopted. Yeah. Right. We're both black. Oh, right. wait, there's that. <laughs> there, uh, there I was is. just seeing if you were well, paying at least attention. You're tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk a little state and city politics. And when you talk either one, you have to talk racial politics too. Um, let's start with uh, the state. Your leader for the last 12 years is a gentleman named Mike Madigan. Uh, has Mike Madigan, do you think, been a force for good in the state of Illinois? Has his leadership benefited the state of Illinois? You know, I would think that Mike Madigan's benefit to a certain group of people, yes. Now, I have to say that I don't know if that demographic would include blacks, you know, but I think that he's benefited some people. Well, what about your district? I, mean, I, would, I would say absolutely not. And so what are your conversations like with Madigan about uh, families on the west side of the city? You know, it's always I'm telling them what I need. We, you know, Austin High School right now is underperforming. You know, it's not what it used to be. Is there are the resources have been drained. There's no investment in that um, old Austin High School, and I've been fighting student population shrinking. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, who wants to send their kids to a school without resources? So we don't have uh, resources. And recently, there was a report done where students were complaining that they didn't have books and they didn't have teachers, and they were not gonna be prepared to um, take the ACT. So that's what's going on in the Austin community, and you see that going on across the um, city right well, now. So you've been there 12 years, how many times have you voted for Mike Madigan to be speaker? You know, you have to be smart about it. You have to pick your battles. There's no one else running. I vote for Mike Madigan. Um, you don't get everything that you want in this, um, but you have to chip away at it. So I've passed many bills to help um, Illinois and you know when you look at the fighting against a Mike Madigan you have no choice but to look at the um, results that you get when you have a Rod Bogovich and you have a um, Governor Bruce Rauner, a Pat Quinn. So you pick your battles. Mike Madigan is there and so what am I going to do? Am I going to try to go out and just pick a battle with him, say I'm not voting for you, and then what happens? Now I get nothing done. So What about, I mean, but if, if he has not been good for black families, um, obviously you're not the only member of the Black Caucus, you're not the only legislator who represents a majority-minority district. Why don't members of those, uh, members who represent those districts, those families who have not done well on the south side, the west side of the city, and frankly, in a lot of suburban areas, mid-sized urban areas or throughout the state from the Quad Cities down to uh, East St. Louis. Why don't uh, those legislators, including yourself, band together and demand more, demand new leadership of your caucus? And so now when you think about also Mike Madigan is strong with the unions. So he's definitely... Um, protecting the unions and those jobs, service jobs. So you have individuals that continue to fight with um, and, and fall in line with unions because you have them supporting communities. You know, healthcare, SEIU, Ask Me, these groups, Mike Madigan would say, and I would agree 
in one facet that those are the areas where he protects the black community because he's strong with those unions. So he's kind of got you trick bagged. And right. so you settle, I mean, here's my characterization, you agree or disagree, and you settle for morsels, you settle for table scraps. It's very much, frankly, like the Republican Party has done in my political life in Illinois, which is to essentially play junior partner, John Cass calls it the combine, junior partner to the Chicago Democrats in charge of the city and the state, take some table scraps, keep, you know, protect their little positions, protect their little offices. And meanwhile, the state becomes the worst governed state in the history of America. Yeah. So how, how do you, if, if, if you've got the black caucus and Latino caucus in this trick bag, you've got Republicans in this trick bag, all right, who's going to make the first move to try and reset the table and shift the paradigm? And the problem, if you try to do that, everyone, the players in this game, they all eat from Mike Madigan's leadership. So Mike Madigan is a Democrat, but there are thousands of Republicans that love Mike Madigan. No, I know. Some of them are the leaders of the caucuses. Right, right. Uh, the Republican caucuses certainly have been and continue to be. Um, and play that game. You know, they, a lot of public protestations, but uh, behind the scenes, they're falling in line. Obviously, we had 15 House Republicans vote for the uh, Madigan tax increase right. uh, a, a July a year ago. So it certainly doesn't help to distinguish the brand in the public's mind. I understand that. But I go back again to say, how do you break that? If it's not working, and then somebody has to, I guess, or some group of people have to have the courage to risk their offices uh, perhaps risk more politically and professionally to topple a leadership that doesn't work to change a system that doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, see, it takes it takes a revolt from the people because me being a state rep, we've seen what happened to Ken Duncan. We've seen what yeah. happened to Sky Jury. It's hard for you to just simply say, I'm getting ready to revolt. When you try to do that, what's going to happen, you're going to be standing on an island by yourself. So it's community. So I often wonder why... Do you try to destroy Mike Madigan, the speaker, when Mike Madigan is simply one state rep? You go <laughs> right in his district. Well, he's, he's one state rep, but you just explained that he's not just one state rep, right. that everything funnels to Mike Madigan. So that's but what not one state rep. That's, you know, that's, that's a feudal system, and he's at the top of it. But what about the governor, Ronner? If Ronner really wanted to de dethrone the speaker... I mean, he's going all over the state to try to take away Democrats and make those districts Republican. Yeah. What happens if he says, I'm going to invest all the money in one district and I'm going to take this, the state rep out, then he can't run for speaker. Well, that's right. But you understand, obviously, his district is a controlled vote. I mean, it's one of the last sort of truly controlled vote districts because of exactly what you said. So what he's done statewide to kind of compromise everybody, put everybody in a trick bag so that they don't want to give up what they have for something more or different. He's obviously done in his Southwest Side District right. with a number of city jobs and state jobs and county jobs, all the jobs he controls, all the people. And this is the key to me and get your reaction to it. It's control for a lifetime yes. because it's not the job, it's the pension. Oh my goodness. So as long as I'm on the pension dole, I'm not going to buck the system. And that means my entire life. Yeah. And it's compounded. A compounded um, pension. I mean, you could retire at 65 at, and have a $70,000 pension, and by the time you're 80, it's probably at $200,000. Why, why even wait till you're 65, retire in your early 50s, like right. we see a lot of, uh, of state workers, city yeah, workers, me. Teacher, if I, uh, if officials. I retire and do 20, 
and I retire at 55, I start my pension right away. You, you don't have to take that pension, you know, it's not required. Oh, I have to take the pension. Well, no, you don't have to take it. You choose to take it. <laughs> I choose to take it. And, but, you know, the pension is, is part of the Constitution. It's, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I mean, well, it's you, due yeah. to me. Well I, well, I know, but you understand a lot of legislators are renouncing their pension to sort of try to start to lead by example to say, I'll, you know, I'm coming to the table with clean hands because I'm not part of the system. I renounce the pension. So when I say we've got to change the pension system going forward if we want p to keep our promises to future pensioners, then I'm willing to be the change I wish to see by not taking a pension whatsoever for a part-time job that already pays me 70 grand and, and, and gives me uh, health insurance for life after eight years. Yeah, I've seen some of my colleagues pretty much, yeah, Democrats and Republicans have uh, rejected the pensions. Mostly Republicans. And I probably, I wouldn't sign up for a, a um, I would not sign up for that. I mean, not unless there's another pension that I would probably get then. But you got to survive. I mean, I think that I work very hard. But you, but you, but you work in the private sector too. You do real estate development. Right, right. Yeah, but it's been tough, you know. Well, I know the property taxes, That's which right. is which is another story we need to tell. Uh, obviously, statewide, nobody survives the highest property tax in the nation. Everybody takes a hammering, so that unifies Republicans and Democrats, or should. But on the west side. I mean, the poorest get hit the hardest. Yes. You're talking about, uh, we did the study, uh, West Side Neighborhoods. I remember yeah, we talked remember about it. Yeah, I remember you did. Yes. Yeah. And you're talking about uh, uh, families in West Lawndale paying 5 6 8% of home value and property taxes annually. That eliminates the possibility of homeownership. It eliminates any value your home has. It destroys the opportunity to create wealth for a family and future generations of that family through home ownership. So what do we say about the property tax system doing all of those things to the families in your district? Yeah, and, and eliminate value. I don't know if people understand how that happens. So when the person gets ready to purchase a house, of course, all those are factored in. So if the property taxes are high, and I know I'm preaching to acquired, that's how it eliminates value. That's just for our, um, your listeners here. You know, if your property taxes, it reduces your um, ability to qualify for that home. So you can't have high property taxes and high home values. So exactly. That, so the that's higher, it in a yeah. in a sentence, yeah. and that's I think people need to hear that and really internalize it by by listening to what you just said and looking at their bill. It is impossible to have your home uh, value appreciate to have your home appreciate in value if you have high property right. taxes. Impossible. Right. Mathematically no impossible. No one would be able to buy it. But you told me something that we have to study. You said something about a cap. Well, right. So what we've been talking about is um, I've been talking about and some candidates for a legislative office have been talking about is just adopting the Indiana model where you have a 1% hard cap on property taxes, you market value for the home, you attach a 1% hard cap on property taxes as a percentage of value, and it will not increase until you have a capital event, your home, uh, you sell your home or you improve your home, period, full stop. And then, you know, in Indiana, I think it's 2% for farmland and 3% for commercial capped as well, because commercial property tax is also a killer here. I mean, the west and south sides of the city and the south suburbs destroy the south suburbs. So, um, yeah, what about that? Then it, it institutes a discipline for spend at the local level, particularly the school district level. And then you can gather people around that uh, new reality on the ground at the local level and leverage that political power to force Springfield to go from 27, 28% of the uh, lift for K through 12 spending, except in places like Chicago, where it's close to 50, 
Um, but you can leverage Springfield to live up to the, its constitutional responsibility to be the primary funder of K through 12 education. That's and, how we, and that it institutes spending discipline at the state level. So you get spending discipline, local spending discipline and focus at the state level. Let me tell you why that's great. I, we just have to figure out how do you replace that money. But, you know, many people ask me, how do you reduce the reliance on property, um, tax. property taxes for education? Yeah. That makes it fair. It's, and it's transparent and it's simple and you don't have this you know, mysticism of, a, of an assessment, this mystical assessment system that we have where nobody really understands why my home is assessed here and one similar to it across the street is assessed differently. And, and I, my, my, I mean, the Tribune's done the stories on this, papers I started have done stories on this. In, in your district, uh, homes that are assessed for 150 grand market value are selling for 40 grand. Right. So it, the assessor says your home is worth this, but guess what? Um, the market doesn't care. The market right. is saying this is what it's worth because right. this is what somebody's willing to pay. But you're paying property taxes off the assessment, not off the market value, right. and that's why you're paying five and six and seven percent of home value uh, with respect to your property taxes annually. Yeah, that's. I think that's really something. To look at it. The city should be pushing something like that because you're going to get with the state, and you're going to say you need to fulfill your obligation with public education. I'm going to look into that. Right, okay. I don't know how much it will cause for the coffers to lose, but it's definitely worth looking at if you want a fair and equitable educational system in the city and the state. Then. Right. And, and spending restraint at, at the local and state level, both of which is required in a state that's got a quarter of a trillion dollars in debt and about $30 billion in assets. That's sort of the definition wow. of bankruptcy. Um, and we don't want to confront it as long as... Things look good on the mag mile, and and as you know, as long as this kind of the bleed is relatively slow in terms of the population that is displaced, that is exiting Illinois for other states, um, we'll just we'll just kind of paper it over for one more election cycle, one more election cycle until you know everything comes crashing down simultaneously, which is what's going to happen because the math is inexorable. Now I know this is your show, but I got a question for you. Yeah, black people in this city are in trouble. Are white people willing to partner and say, you know, enough is enough. If black people are getting killed, if their neighborhoods are underdeveloped, we need to work together to try to make sure that all communities are fair, fairly um, resourced and treated fairly and have all the students in these communities have equitable education. Will white people partner with blacks on that? Well, I mean, for me, it's not a race issue. It's a policy issue. It transcends race. So it's a, it's a, as you say, it's a fairness issue, um, but it's disproportionately a fairness issue with respect to blacks and Latinos. So here's sort of my response, the first part of it at least. So let's see, I'm pro-life. I want black babies to be born. And I, I don't care their socioeconomic status. I want black babies to be born and to right. be cared for. Um, I am uh, for school choice, uh, including uh, tax credit scholarships, other opportunity scholarships. So I want black children and poor children and Latino children, poor, poor children don't have resources of all races mm. and creeds and everything else to have access to the same schools that I had access to. So I'm for educational parity in terms of opportunity. Um, I'm for the 1% hard cap on property taxes so that black families and Latino families and white families and Asian families and everybody under the sun can buy home, uh, drop uh, roots in this community, build wealth uh, and see some sort of a return, at least a hedge against inflation, if not a real return on investment for the largest investment most people are going to make. Um, I'm 
for an individual right to self-protection. So for the majority of uh, families in these shooting galleries on the west side and south side of the city uh, that are law-abiding, and that's the overwhelming majority of those families in those neighborhoods, I'm for them being able to protect themselves. I'm for more police presence there to not contain, but to interdict thugs, mm -hmm. get rid of them, get them out of the community. Um, so I'm for, I'm for all of those things, just for starters. But, but the white conservative is the problem. We're, we're the, we're the, I mean, I'm not saying you're saying right. it, but I'm saying this is sort of the, the narrative out there. The white conservative, guys like Prof, they're the problem. They're what's stopping black progress, but you've got Tony Preckwin because you're Cook County Board President, and Tim Evans is your Cook County Chief Judge, and Kim Fox is your Cook County State's Attorney. These are all African Americans, and Eddie Johnson is your Chicago Police School, uh, Chicago Police Superintendent. And Democrats have controlled the city for 100 years, and Republic I mean, Democrats have controlled Springfield effectively for most of the last 50, uh, certainly in, in the in the General Assembly. But but it's like, hey, when are white conservatives going to participate? <laughs> you almost had me. Well, Everything that you say sounds great. So so when are when are when are families who have voted for all of the people that they that you see in office today and for most of the last hundred years in the city and half a century in the state, when are they going to think differently and say this guy uh, that these guys that we keep voting for and gals? that all have the same mentality, that all have the same rhetoric, that all have the same answers, and what here's the result of all that. When are we going to say, we're done with them, and we're going to give this guy a try, these ideas, doesn't matter if this guy, doesn't matter me right. or whoever, these ideas a try that makes sense, and oh, by the way, have the added benefit of actually succeeding everywhere they're tried. When is that going to happen? Right. You almost had me, and all that is good if we all started out started to race at the same line and then running at the same pace. Yeah. Now, what about there has to be some way that we should come together as whites and blacks, browns, everyone to realize that there have been some people left behind for many years. Yeah. And we can't just say, let's deal with the issue now. There's got to be some type of plan that we have to put into place to well, say that we have to catch these people up. Okay, well, but, but I mean, you know, we can't get in our DeLorean and go back to the future. Right. So we have to deal with the reality on the ground now, go forward. So I'm all for catching people up. I mean, what is what is catching people up? What does a better job of catching people up than removing property tax burdens on the home they want to buy or currently right. own to to give them home equity back? What catches people up faster than saying your kid that, that's in this terrible neighborhood school that's discriminated against based on their uh, address and right. their household income that says, no, now you get to go to any school your kid can get into, or you get to go to these charter schools, these innovative charter schools like Tim King's Urban right. Prep Academies right. that have a model that's working, and we should scale that model to reach more kids, young black men. Right. That's Tim right. King's model, right? right. So, so, I mean, because otherwise, if that's not the way to catch people up, then it seems to me we're back to let's catch people up through more government programs and, you know, wired up deals with the politically connected and a social safety net right. to be generous programs that create dependency and propagate dependency. How's that catching people? Well, up? so there are people that I would say that missed the boat because of the way the system was set up. Let's think about it. You talked about how the city of Chicago has been controlled by Democrats. One, of course, we both know that the mayor's office is nonpartisan. But, you know, right. but then controlled by the Democrats. So there has been a lot of people, especially blacks, that's been left out of the party. 
And but blacks keep voting for that same party. I get it. Yeah. The unions, we talk about the trade unions. Their blacks are out of the trade unions. So that's what I mean. How do we how do we make sure that we work together? I know you would say destroy the unions. Well, I wouldn't say destroy the unions. I would just say, no, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm certainly not, I mean, the public sector unions are a completely different animal than the trades. It's a completely different animal. The trade union is, I mean, this is why FDR and George Meany opposed public sector unions, because they're on both sides of the deal. You're, you're financing and electing your management, then you pretend to negotiate with. Mm. It's, it's, wow. That's, that's bull jive. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, at least in the private sector with the operating engineers, electricians, or plumbers, it's true adversarial collective bargaining, which is fine. So it's like the Janus decision. Nobody's saying you can't be a member of the union if you want to be. Just saying you should have a choice. And with respect to the trade unions, no, they should be partners with this. Trade unions are partners with uh, many of them on school choice initiatives because they send their kids to Catholic schools or private schools. And so they want a tax credit or a, a, a financial benefit like anybody else would want to or a little bit of help like anybody else would want to. So I agree with you in terms of like you have some coalitions are going to look different depending on the issue. But I mean, it's, it's to me, it's like a culture problem. Yeah. It's a political culture mentality problem. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the state. Right. And I'm talking about the city across every identifier in terms of uh, race and creed and orientation, all that other stuff that we obsess about that, well, the press corps and the left obsesses about, I don't. Um, so if you're unwilling to make a break from people and systems that do not work for you, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. So yes, would I love to work with you on uh, you yeah. know everything I just said? Absolutely. I'd work with Mike Madigan and everything yeah. I just said. I don't care who it is. I just want the policy outcome. But, but you were right when you said it's going to take a revolt. If you don't have popular support, if people don't demand better, they're not going to get better. Right. Uh, you know what? I, I'm totally convinced <laughs> everything that you're saying and, but I need you to be convinced that we need something like a Marshall Plan in these communities that have been left behind. How could you take all the government investment and put it downtown and not ever invest in the west side or the south side of Chicago or invest in the north side or invest in the south side where Mike Madigan's district is? Don't we need a Marshall Plan for the city of Chicago where black people pretty much live? Yeah, yeah uh, well... Do we need investment? Do we do we need private investment in, to, in the we, West Side, South Side? Yeah. We absolutely do. We, where do we need? More do we need? Do, do we need? Anywhere? Do we need black entrepreneurship? Yeah. Yes. Do we need to encourage black entrepreneurship? So is it helpful when Tony Preckwinkle is against self-employment because it gives people false hopes? Gives those people false hopes? That's Tony Preckwinkle saying that. It's remarkable the mentality the. Uh, you know, the, the feudal mentality, we're just serfs and we just need to take whatever we get from the feudal lords, whether they're ward bosses or state mm. reps or, or statewide or county. I mean, it's insane. So I'm all for that, but I'm not for funneling it. You, know, you want to change the system, change how the money flows and who gets to spend it. That's how you change K through 12 education. Oh, without a doubt. So let's do the same thing with economic development. I mean, K through 12 education, CPS spends more per pupil than Hinsdale does. So it's not a money issue. It's it it's a, a, a how resources are expended, and it's measure, uh, uh, matching up inputs with outputs. 
So let's match those up. And it's the same thing when it comes to business development or entrepreneurship programs, which should be in the high schools. Which right. should, frankly, it should be in the grade schools. You should be teaching home ec and econ 101 before kids are out of eighth grade and then transition that into real understanding of finance and capital formation and job creation and how a free market economy works at the high school level and beyond, whether kids go to, to college or post-secondary education or they go to the workforce after high school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of uh, you need to get money out of the hands of, of, of bureaucrats. We need to stop funding centralized bureaucracies and provide seed capital for real entrepreneurship, real investment that demands a market return. So there's accountability. This is what uh, Mohammed Anus won a Nobel Prize for in, uh, in, 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 uh, in Asia, um, Grameen Bank. Right, these yeah. micro loans, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is what we should be doing. We should be saying to you know A students coming out of wherever that uh, we'll do. We can do income share scholarships for you to go to university, um, maybe come out of university, and we've got uh, micro loans that if you want to start a business. I mean, this was Peter Thiel, the Thiel Foundation, $100,000 grants he's giving high-performing Ivy League students to get out of the Ivy League schools, leave school. And start a business because they got a business plan. He funds that. He gives them a hundred grand in seed capital. Go start a business. You want to. You want to be a social welfare agency. Be a job creator. Is his attitude. So and, it's like Zuckerberg. That's yeah. What he, did. he left. Was he at Harvard? Harvard. Yeah. And it's and Gates. Yeah. I mean, and and you know those are obviously extreme examples. Not everybody's going to be Zuckerberg but or Gates could. or Teal. But, but they could. Yeah. Well, they could. Yeah. They could. I mean, yeah. this is and so 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 why so it's like Marshall Plan sounds like it's all going to be you know government in and we're going to subsidize Whole Foods to go into Inglewood. That's a, those are one offs. It doesn't work. It's not a sustainable. So you're saying model. those are Democrat dog whistles. <laughs> well, well, you know, we know what it is. It's not. It's not a dog whistle. It's um, it's a prestidigitation. It's trickery. Yeah, but see, this is why I said Democrats and Republicans must coexist. Most of the times, we hear Democrats talk about social service programs. We hear Republicans talk about eliminate social service programs and talk about business and um, economics in a sense of you know, growing businesses, developing businesses, development. So you have Democrats, we speak like that also. Yeah, but right. for the most part- But it's always, have, it's government-centric. Right. That's why I said we have to work together. There's no reason why you, me, can't change the whole um, um, paradigm. Well, I mean, that is a very um, optimistic and, statement. And we're the same age. We're, we, you know, I think that there's something to it. I don't agree with some of the stuff you said. You obviously don't agree with me about having a Marshall Plan to help black people. Not, but not, I'm going to change not, your mind. Well, um, here, here's what I said. I, this, I said this to Karen Lewis on a radio program several years ago. I said, and I said this to Jesse Sharkey, too. How much you want? Give me the number. Give me the number you think is the magic number to make sure that kids are coming out of CPS with the reading, writing, and critical thinking skills they need to be successful in life. I, it's not a money issue right, for me. It's not. I don't care about the money. And if, it, if, if you could prove to me that it's not 22, 23 grand per kid, it's 30 grand a kid, but it's gonna be in a system that produces this result where it's all these kids that are ready to be successful in life on their own terms, then I, I'll, we'll figure out a way to finance it. What I won't do, and this is this is where this is it's not communicated very well by Republicans, especially in this state. I mean, Republicans is just you know the people in office are 
<laughs> yeah, they're they're buffoons. Um, Wait, the Republicans? Okay. Well, no, all of them. <laughs> I mean, present company excluded. There's a handful that are not. But I mean, right, it's right. out of the 177. Right, right. Ten percent. Right. It's maybe twenty percent of non-buffoons. There's right. the buffoon caucus. That's the supermajority, and right. then there's the non-buffoons, and that's an mm -hmm. insular minority. But but it's it's not about money. I'll write the check. You know, we'll finance it. I won't. I will not continue to say blank check government. Don't care about the results because it's just virtue signaling with other people's money, and and destroying people's lives. You don't care about. I mean, I'm not saying you. Right. I'm saying you people. Uh, you people. You people <laughs> out in the world. You people who vote. This whole state. Seventy-five percent of CPS kids are not college ready. And we and they're spending more than Hinsdale is. They're spending more than Lake Forest is. Yeah. Uh, why should? Why are you gonna? You're gonna stick me up. You're going to shame me to say unlimited money, more money, more money for CPS. No, uh, uh. And and the same thing for anything. And I don't. And it's that it goes for the suburbs too. There's a lot of suburban school districts that are living off reputations that they don't uh, that 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 are have, were earned a long time ago. And are no longer warranted because mm -hmm. they're not producing the results either. Yeah. Um. So to me, so so I will spend as much money as is required to produce a discernible result. Just like a business person. And then if we and this is why, like I said, Glenwood Glenwood School for Boys in South Suburban Glenwood, mostly minor, 150 kids. Tim King's Urban Prep Academies. Um. Even that um, Midtown uh, uh, Education Foundation. Uh, that Glenn Wilkie runs. Those are all programs, you know, 150, 200 kids, they're working. Right. So let's scale them. You want to talk about taking those programs from 150 kids or 200 kids to 2,000 to 20,000? Great. You want to talk about instead of adding 400 seats to patent prep, adding 400,000 seats to patent prep? You know what I'm saying? Why Replicating the model? Right. Then let's talk about it. It's not money. It's success, successful models that should be scaled and failed models that should be discontinued. That should be the conversation. That's good. I'll, I'll, I'm with you on that. All right. But I still need you to recognize that, you know, just like a student, you know, some students are slow learners. Some students are in eighth grade reading at a fifth grade level. Yeah. Let's just look at society like that and say that we have to do something about not only the um, eighth grader reading at a fifth grade level, we have to have a plan for that student to get them up to eighth grade reading level and above, we have to have the same plan for a failed community to get them from a failing community to a successful community. And then, you know, that's going to make all of us better. No, I'm all about the planning. I just, it's just, I think it's going to be a different composition of people with a different attitude and a different approach than the people who've been doing the planning yeah, uh, I, I, up till this point, that's that's to me the, the difference. So, how do do you think it's up to the communities to develop those communities, like on the, in Austin and Lindale? No, I mean, I think there's look, there's so many people that want to help. Right, that's what I believe. So, but but but, but they don't want to. Uh, but there are fewer people that want to help perpetuate a model they know doesn't work. And then the, there's and there's a lot of people that are afraid, well, if, gosh, if I disagree or if, I, if I'm not on board for this spending, then somebody's going to call me a racist. And, oh, golly, I'll descend into a puddle of tears if somebody calls me a name. Yeah. Who cares? That's what I feel. But sorry there are a lot of people are like that. People are. I do believe, that's why I'm saying to you, I do believe that there are 
white people, there are a lot of white people that donate money to causes on the west side of Chicago. Yeah, of and they continue to give and they continue to give. I think that what they need are leaders that understand how to budget for results and to make sure that we, what did you say, um, grow the um, the programs that's successful and eliminate those that are not. Well, I mean, you know, the, the challenge is, and this is, again, this is like transcends race, the challenge is to separate all this from the grifters. You got to keep the grifters out of it and you got to get people that don't have, you know, kind of hidden financial interests, aren't trying right. to wire a deal for their idiot cousin, aren't trying right. to get some relatives hired that are just focused on producing a plan and funding a plan that has metrics to measure return, which is demanded, and that once you prove out the model, it can be scaled. Or to, as I said, scale models that have already proved up and, so, and are sort of existing out there on islands, but should be should be replicated throughout the city, in some cases throughout the state. So we got a daily that's gonna enter the race or enter the race, you got a Pertwinkle that's gonna enter or has entered the race. Yeah. You know, what does Chicago need in its next mayor? I mean, what you, I heard you just say that you can't have these, um, these people running the government that's trying to help their families and, and help wire their cousins money and make deals well, that's going to benefit. What would make a good mayor for Chicago? Somebody that's not government centric. Somebody that's not a uh, rent seeking uh, corporate hack like Bill Daly or a socialist like Tony Preckwinkle. Um, somebody that's not looking for something on their epitaph like Ronner was when he ran for governor, like yeah. JB is running for governor now. They just want the title. They want to walk around with a sash on like Mayor Quimby in The Simpsons for four years. And then it'll be, you know, their obituary former governor and maybe somebody will put a statue of them somewhere. Um, so it, the, that, that attitude is what we have now. That's the political ruling class attitude. So you have to have the attitude of the revolutionary. Yeah. Right. You said a people's revolt. Well, a revolt is led by revolutionaries. And so are there revolutionaries out there who are willing to uh, suffer the slings and arrows to change the conversation, to change people's understanding, to change the paradigm? And I think the answer is I don't know, but certainly the answer of the last hundred years has been a definitive no. So, I, you know, so I, I, I don't know. So do we have time to do it in this next election or is it pretty much going to be a sold up deal with a Pretwinkle being the county? I don't know. Is she the state chair? She's the Cook Democrat, county chair. Cook county yeah, chair. Cook county chair. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it probably will have to get worse before it gets better. That old saw, but, you know, all cliches are true. Um, it's possible. I mean, I think Vallis at least represents something different than the rest of the candidates running. Uh, he could be something different. He can clear the credibility threshold to, mm -hmm. to that, you know, I believe this guy could run the city. I think he has a, a somewhat of a reformer's heart, much more so than anybody else running who's a serious candidate. Um, you know, the state is gonna be a, a catastrophe, um, you know, with your party in charge, frankly. You know, I like you saying it because your party's in charge also. I mean, you you, oh, I mean, yeah. you guys are not just at the dance. You're dancing, too. And when you think about it, no. all of your communities are better off than some Democrat districts. Well, and so we well, are sure. crazy as Democrats to continue to go along with this type of dance. When if you look at Republican districts, their roads and bridges, schools and and everything is, is um, golden. Well, 
Um, right. I mean, compared to the west side of the city, yeah. yeah, probably. But I mean, those communities are hemorrhaging population too because it's the same economics that make no sense to make uh, make Illinois your home. And so the Republican Party is um, the leadership of the Republican Party is craven and cowardly and pathetic too. I mean, this is so you have sort of Soviet elections. You have a one-party system. You have parameters of debate that are about this wide. And so we just continue careening on this path to financial oblivion because you don't have real leadership in either party. And, and that turns out to matter a lot. Yeah. And now the, the, the flip side is you've seen other states, frankly, all the states around us, um, some you know, refreshing uh, change at the executive level with a different vision for how society should be ordered. Uh, and specific plans on how to do so, to walk back from the abyss. Boy, things can change in a hurry. They changed in a hurry in Indiana. They changed in a hurry in Wisconsin. They changed significantly in Michigan. Um, so, you know, it's possible, but um, you got to have, you got to have non-traditional coalitions in, in Illinois that are, I think are different in those states. So frankly, there needs to be more LaShawn Fords in the black community that are open-minded, in the Latino community that are open-minded and are not just trying to queue up for their, you know, how they're going to angle for a particular office yep. or a particular job with a particular office holder. There has to be something bigger and better kicking around in, in people's heads that have profile and can cobble together resources and have the skill sets to appeal to people and put people together, put coalitions together. I think you have that uh, to a large extent, but... Um, you know, it's going to take uh, more than these two aging forty-something-year-olds yeah. to do it. I think. Yeah, I'm ready, and I think that um, you have your base of people that agree with your perspectives and your philosophy. We should just figure out how we could do it. Well, one other thing I want to talk to you about too. I mean, it's a local issue, but it's a state issue too, particularly as legislators. Public safety. I mean, if you don't abide the first responsibility of government to protect its constituents, then nothing else that we're talking about can happen because businesses aren't going to locate where things aren't safe. People aren't going to move to places that aren't safe. And there's a lot of neighborhoods in your district that are not safe. So what do we do about that? Economic development, clearly. I think that people miss that it's the violence that's driving jobs and businesses out of the state. That's probably the number one thing, because I think that if if we're able to make Chicago safer, more businesses will come in and we'll bring more revenue in. You know, I'm a Democrat, so we're going to bring more taxes in mm -hmm. that we're going to be able to fund and reduce the property taxes. But the fact that we continue to lose um, revenue because people are leaving, taxes have to go up because we have to pay for government. Or or, so or, or pay for more police. Or spending could be yeah. restrained and refocused so that, I mean, so that you get like your first order priorities right, like public safety, which are not being right. And that means other things need to be subordinated. Grand plans for, you know, uh, government as venture capitalists need to be put on the shelf for now because you can't keep people safe in, in this neighborhood. Yeah. And so, so, so what about, what is the relationship with the police? I mean, it, it, this, it's so racially charged now as we're talking against the backdrop of the Van Dyke trial, the Laquan McDonald case, but half the Chicago Police Department roughly is African-American or Latino. That, that can't be true. Yeah. Nearly 6,000 officers combined are black or Latino. I, I'm almost going to bet you that's not I'll true. I'll bet you. Yeah. I'll bet you. I'll bet you another show. No, I'll bet you a show. <laughs> it is. It is. I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, so, uh, and, but 
but so what are we going to do? But, but, but even if it was, even if it's 40%, even if it was 30%, I mean, you're telling me thousands of police officers are part of some racist institution. You know, let me so, add- so, so what are, what are we going to do? You know, it's this push and pull of, you know, police are a problem, but we need more police to, for safety in their, our neighborhood. You know, the problem is we have a city that runs the schools and runs the police department, mm-hmm. and you have the mayor that's in charge of both. Mm-hmm. So Eddie Johnson should really be independent of the mayor. He would never tell the mayor that your school system and your policies, cre- they're creating this violence in the city. You know, you're not educating the kids. You're you're cheating a lot of the kids on the west and south side of Chicago out of a quality education. And now you're passing them on to us on the street. Yeah, right. And now they're becoming violent. And we have to deal with them. He's not going to be able to tell the mayor of the city, you close the mental health facilities and people that need their bipolar medicine or any other meds, they're on the streets now and they're our problem. See, the problem is the mayor is really at fault for not correcting the problems. He creates crime. This mayor creates crime in certain communities, and it could be eliminated through economics. But, but in the short term, tomorrow, I mean, because, you know, obviously kids are being, are murdering and murdering, in, being murdered and murdering in real time. So what do you do to say, you know, businesses, jobs, the skills to obtain those jobs, that's not going to happen like flipping a light switch. So what do you do right now to reduce the carnage on the west side, the south side, the city? Yeah, I would say right now you go in with opportunities where the schools, so there are people that have been dropped out, they've dropped out of high school and they're on the corner. So right away we now know where they are. We know where the trouble is. So we're just looking at them saying we're going to lock you up. Why don't we have a system in place where we go get people that's hanging on the corners and offer them opportunities? Why don't we go get the homeless people and offer them opportunities? We're sitting there waiting. What, what are those opportunities look trade like? Trade schools. We need to say, here are opportunities for you to go to trade school. Now we get these people in the database and we say, we're trying to help you. Now, if we catch you back doing what you were doing, you're arrested. We have to arrest people. We have to make sure that we put people in in, in prison, that's bad and that's causing all of us to be, uh, our lives to be in danger. What about, what about on the other side of the justice system, Kim Fox, Cook County State's Attorney's Office? What kind of job do you think she's doing? I, I would have to say that she's doing better. The felonies are down. I mean, we had a system where um, people, what, by now you guys, um, not you guys, but, yeah. the, but the Republicans would say that we should have 10,000 felonies by now. Right. Well, that's down. I think it's down to maybe like eight, eight, which yeah. is great. Why do we have to just saddle people with felonies? That's not a good thing. Well, what if they're committing crimes with guns? Now, that's a different story. I think that you have to get people in the city. If, if you are committing a violent act, then you have to be um, punished. But if you have drug cases where you probably have a mental health problem or a drug problem, you can't be saddling them with a felony because now they become our problem. So the state, the city, and the county, we slap felonies on people. That's called cutting your nose off to spite your face yeah, because I mean, now they're our problem. But we've effectively decriminalized marijuana possession in the, in the city. I mean, people aren't being arrested for it, they're not being charged for it. I mean, Eddie Johnson and others have made it pretty clear without saying it explicitly, but they're certainly strongly hinting 
at the fact that Kim Fox and the Cook County State Attorney's Office has a revolving door when it comes to people committing violent crimes. I'm not talking about nonviolent drug offenders. I'm talking about people that should be charged with felonies because they committed a violent crime and they're getting a walk or they're getting a light sentence from the Cook County State's Attorney's Office because Preckwinkle and her protege, Kim Fox, his attitude is open up the jail cells. I don't think that they're they're, um, being um, soft on crime for violent offenders. I, I just don't think so. I think that they're being um, smart on crime when it comes to drug cases, because once again, it doesn't make sense to have people that have mental health problems or drug problems locked up. You know, so I think that we have a system in place with the state where we have to bring the state and the city working together, the county, everyone working together, where when people leave prison, most of them leave and they come back to the same communities, the south and west side of Chicago. Why are we allowing people to leave the state prison, which clearly is called the Department of Corrections, and they're not correcting them. They're actually making them harden even more. Back to the system, our parole system must change. Why don't we simply say, if you're gonna parole out, you have to go to a trade school, get a trade before you can be off parole. Yeah, or how about this too? I mean, we, you know, I, th- I think you were on this one too, um, eliminating some of these uh, onerous licensing requirements to be a, a, a barber right. or a hairdresser of some sort or other jobs that it shouldn't require more hours of training than it required me to get my private pilot's <laughs> license to braid hair. Right. I mean, it's, oh my it's, goodness. it's insane, that one? right? And this, this is not just in Illinois, but New Jersey, other Democrat states, basically. Um, and so what about that in terms of, you know, fomenting entrepreneurship in the black community by people, whether they made a mistake in their lives or not, but are on the straight and narrow now that want to be productive and entrepreneurs and job creators and self-sufficient. Yeah, I think that we're out of control with all the felonies. So before we had Anita Averaz and all the other prosecutors, remember, the damage is done. A lot of those um, people on the street right now have felonies. Those are the ones that's causing the havoc to our communities and to society. And until we realize, until everyone downtown and on the other sides of town realizes that those people are causing our taxes to go up and up and up because we have to hire more police and the pension problem continues to get out of control because we have to deal with safety. Safety shouldn't cost us as much as education. That's a problem. Well, right, and I agree with you. I mean, like working with ex-offenders to get them on the straight and narrow, to get them into productive uh, lines of work and so forth, it's the same thing. Look at people, programs, or uh, nonprofits that are that have a model that's working and scale it. It's the yeah. same thing we're talking about well, with schools. Boy Scouts, I don't understand what happened to Boy Scouts, what happened yeah, to the boys and girls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's no longer Boy Scouts, you're right. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very and the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. You know, there are proven programs out there. I mean, that um, the YMCAs, all of these programs, they're missing in those areas. And I want you to know that the people that's in these communities, they are the very products of CPS. So the right. parents right now went through the same system that their kids are going through. So it's really bad because you have parents trying to raise their kids that probably didn't graduate from high school and and have um, very low skills and it's very difficult. They're not employable. So this is the city's fault that we have um, students and families in this. You know, and I know you're going to say personal responsibility, but it's very, very Everybody's not as strong as, you know, the strongest person. No, I understand. And so there, 
there is some responsibilities for if a mother or father sends their kids to a public school, they expect them to come out better. And when the school system fails, then we have to say personal responsibility is a factor, but so is the fact that the state has an obligation to do their part. Yeah, look, I, and, and that whole issue, you know, uh, even uh, um, ex-offenders, what, what C.S. Lewis said about being a Christian means forgiving the unforgivable because God forgave the unforgivable in you. So I'm all for that. I just want to people channeled into programs, that work. institutions that work, and we don't have very many of those. Right. And the ones we do have, we don't pay attention to while we fund all the ones that don't. It's the most upside down dynamic in the country, which is why this is the worst governed city and state in the country. Last question for you, though. How concerned are you about reaction to the Van Dyke verdict, regardless of which way it goes? Yeah. You know, I would say that Van Dyke would be found guilty of something. And I think that the community will be okay as long as he's not. Um, and I can't say as long as he's not, because we, the facts have to be. Right. And I don't want to try the case and say that um, because that, that goes to the point if you could sit on this jury and not be biased, because right now everyone that you hear really already says he's not guilty or he's guilty. Right. So I, I think that if he's found not guilty because of preconceived um, notions and preconceived, um, you know, um, opinions. I think that there's going to be pro there would be problems. Now, on the other hand, I don't know if people if he's found guilty. We never thought about this. What if he's found guilty? Will there be repercussions there? Because there are people that believe that he's that he was doing his job and that he should not have been convicted. Well, I mean, um, so you're you're right. It, it, you could have uh, negative outcomes regardless of what the verdict is. And so should we be hearing more from leaders in the community, from the mayor to aldermen to legislators like yourself saying, hey, uh, whatever the verdict is, uh, violence, rioting, uh, uh, conduct that is unbecoming a person who believes in uh, respect for other people will not be tolerated. And oh, so, yeah. so just don't even think about it because we'll, if it's a verdict we don't like, then we'll address it in a legal thoughtful way. If it's a verdict we do like, we'll address it in a legal, thoughtful way, period. Yeah, and I think that what we have to remember that if you are ever being judged by a jury, what you want is, you know, the jury to find it in your favor. And so if Van Dyke's attorney is able to prove that he um, is innocent beyond a reasonable doubt is they go that way or guilty beyond how, right if his attorney if his attorney creates reasonable right, doubt, right? Yeah. so he's so, acquitted right if he's acquitted then that's the system you know and if he's um found guilty that's the system and so i think that it's going to be tough you know and i you know van dyke you know he did that and i i don't like it and i think that if he could do it all over he wouldn't you know, he's ruined his life, he's ruined his family life, and um, I think that if he could do it all over, he would he would think twice. Probably so. He is State Representative LaShawn Ford, Democrat representing the west side of the city of Chicago. LaShawn, always good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Man. Thank you.